Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. About a week ago, I caught one of those videos that will be online, pop up on your news feed, and it was a sweet little video. It was a video of a little girl that was unable to hear since birth, and she had the uh, cochlear uh, implant uh, procedure done, and then she could be able to hear, and it showed her hearing. And she was little, and uh, but it was still such a cute reaction. But that video actually reminded me of, of another video uh, I saw, I think it was five years ago, it went viral. But it wasn't of a, a little girl, it was of a 29-year-old woman who could not hear, and, and her receiving the ability to hear for the very first time. And it was quite moving. And so I want to show you that video. Watch this. Now, technically, your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. (laughs) What does it sound like? Carly, sorry to do that to you. I know you're a sympathy crier, and uh, so she's moved back there. I know. Sorry, my fault. But actually, it's very moving. And can, can you just even imagine being in that position of not being able to hear, and then for the very first time taking in those sounds? What an incredible video! And the reason I showed that one and not the, the younger girls, because I think we can relate a little bit better to that one. Because I think there's probably some of us in this room this morning have not just spent months, but have spent years longing to hear God's voice. And you've been desperate for it. And, uh, or maybe you've just flat out have been so deaf, you didn't even know you could hear God's voice. Today, I want to really help us understand what that looks like. We've been in this series about the Holy Spirit and how Jesus said we would do even greater things than him because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God in us as the Holy Spirit, that we'd even do greater things than Jesus. And part of this following Christ is having this lordship of the Holy Spirit through his leadership and the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us by speaking to us and leading us through his distinct Voice And last week we mentioned that for us to be in that position is going to take a special posture. Us being in a posture of sacrifice and us being in a posture of surrender. When we surrender our selfishness, when we surrender our beings to the Lord. And when we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's going to be much easier for us to hear the voice. We put ourselves in a posture and a position to hear from the voice of the Lord, to hear the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to unpack that a little bit more clearly today of what that looks like once we're in that posture. How do we hear His voice? And that is very important for us because we need His guidance in our lives. 
We should be desperate for it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit himself longs to speak to us. The Holy Spirit himself longs to lead us, even just like Jesus led the disciples. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is just as present with us today as he is or as he was with his disciples. If you have a handout today, that's some of your first blanks if you want to follow along. But Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is just as present with us today as he was with his disciples. The Holy Spirit is God in us, just like God was in the flesh in Jesus. And Jesus was leading his disciples. God in us, we will be led the same way. I think the normal Christian life should be walking with and following the Spirit of God. That there should be a, a leadership to our lives that is supernatural, that should be God-driven. And that is driven through this relationship we have with the Father because of our faith in the Son and the implementation or uh, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And we follow God through this voice and through this relationship. And so my question today is, do you know how to hear from the Holy Spirit? Do you? And I want you to think about that. If someone were to ask you, how do I hear the Holy Spirit? What would your response be? Because today I hope to answer that question for us. What does that look like? Last week I talked about there are going to be some things that have your name on it. We use that communal fridge, the, the community refrigerator at work, saying that you write your name, you label it. Well, there are going to be some things the Holy Spirit wants to say. That's you. Go get it. That's what I want you to do. This has Chad's name on it. This has John's name on it. This has Kathy's name on it. That specifically our names are on something. How do we hear and distinguish the voice of the Lord from all the other voices? I want to start by saying there are some bad methodologies out there for hearing from God. All right, before we get to the good ones, let's just kind of unpack some of those bad ones. Some people have this random coincidence equals the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've done this or you've known people that they're praying and they're, they're trying to hear God's voice and they're praying about, God, should I take this job or not? And they happen to be driving down I-35 and they see this billboard that catches their attention. As soon as they glance over, the word that pops off that billboard, billboard is the word new. And right when you see that word new, the sun breaks forth from the clouds and creates this aura. And your favorite song just comes on air one at that specific moment. Pretty cool, right? That's got to be God. Not always. But a lot of times we just equate it to this random thing happened, and so it must be God. There's one time in ministry when there was a church uh, that we were talking with that was interested in, in me being their pastor in some random town in Kansas. I don't even remember the exact name uh, of, of this location. And Kim was reading in a book, and it had the name of this town. I'm like, oh, whoa, God is in this. Now, God wasn't in it. God wanted us to be here. And so you can't always just equate some coincidence to saying, okay, that must have been God. Some people also follow this mysterious, you know, peace in your heart equals the Holy Spirit. You know, I'll know it's a right decision because I'm going to have this incredible amount of peace overwhelm me. And let's be real. Some of you are so analytical that your name is Jonathan Castillo, or, or you're someone else. You are just so analytical. You're never going to have a piece about any decision. You're an Enneagram 5 or 1, that you are, you are, are so much um, thinking about, or a perfectionist even, as like, this, this isn't always going to be the perfect situation, so it must not be of God. And you just have a really hard time finding peace in anything, right? 
what we see in scripture is that sometimes Satan actually wants to give you peace about a decision. Boy, Eve sure felt good about that fruit she wasn't supposed to have, right? But the enemy came in and said, no, no, God was wrong in this. Let me give you a piece about it. You'll be like God. So this is a good thing. So you can't always just equate with, man, I got a piece about this. This must be from the Lord. But God can give you a piece. Don't mishear me. But you cannot just say, well, there's a piece. So this must be of the Lord. I think the, the worst methodology in hearing from God is the, the Bible lottery approach. Now, we don't do this as much today because so, so many of you use an app to read God's word. And, uh, but back in the day when you, we would actually bring a Bible, like God's, a copy of God's word, y'all know what those are? The Bible, like leather bound sometimes and you would open it and they would make noises. Like a pastor would get really excited when you would open it to the right book of the Bible as you're following along. You're like, whoa, that's so cool. But I know now it's like, you don't hear the swipe, but you, I know you're going there, which is great. But back in the day, you'd have a copy of God's word, and, and, and you would just, the, the Bible lottery approach is, God, I'm really struggling with this decision. What do you want me to do? And so you just fling it open, you put your finger down, and there's your answer. Anyone ever done that? I've done that before, okay? I'll be honest, that has happened in my life. Until I heard the story about this one guy, he said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm really struggling. Uh, I just need a word from you. And he got his Bible, threw it open, put his finger down, and he read Matthew 27, 5. Judas went away and hanged himself. He's like, okay, hang on. Let's try this again. He shut the Bible, said that couldn't have been from God, has to be somewhere else. I'll go to another book. Hopefully, just opens it, Luke 10. Now go and do the same. Okay, hang on, God. Not sure I'm catching this right. Shuts the Bible. I'll give you one more chance, God. I really am struggling. Life stinks. I need some help. What do I do? Opens the Bible, put his fingers down, and says, what you are about to do, do quickly, Okay. I don't know what, how Epstein got a Bible in prison, but um, somehow Hillary brought him one. <laughs> okay, sorry. Let's move on. We're not live, are we? Did we? We haven't started that yet. <laughs> sorry. So those aren't the best way. This morning I want to help us, okay? I want to give us some better ways to understand the Holy Spirit's voice. And so here's five ways we experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Before we dive into these, it, it, it's not, I mean, literally we could spend months on these, okay? And we didn't give ourselves enough time to, to work through that. Maybe one day we can come back and, and revisit these and go uh, into a little bit greater depth. And so I'm only going to give a big picture view on these. I, I won't be able to unpack them in full detail, but I still think it'll be helpful. And the key for these five uh, are to hold them loosely, except the first one, and we'll really dive into the first. But we, we can't make an idol out of one of these ways, and we can't just depend on one way, because what we see in the scriptures is that there is a certain mystery to the Holy Spirit. Okay, We, we need to start with that. He is mysterious in, in how he moves and what he does in his leadership. In scripture, we never just see a cookie-cutter standard of how the Holy Spirit speaks. Sometimes it is in a very dramatic and supernatural way, like a dream or a vision. Other times it's through a prophetic word from someone within the church. Sometimes the apostles just deduce the spirit of the Lord from certain circumstances. And, and often the Bible doesn't just say directly how the spirit spoke. For example, in Acts 8, Luke records this one situation. 
In verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now, what happens in the story is Philip is being led to share the gospel, the good news, with a stranger. But that verse starts with the Holy Spirit said to Philip. Now, how did Philip exactly hear? Was it like when I feel prompted sometimes to share the gospel? Just a sensation in my heart, a, 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 a desire, a, an opening like I should share Jesus here or I should step into this situation. Or did he speak audibly? We, we really don't know. We're not absolutely certain how Philip heard the voice of the Lord. If it wasn't audible, go to this guy. Or if it was just like, hey, there's a, a supernatural thing going on dive into this moment. We don't know for sure. What Jesus did say about our experience with the Holy Spirit, he said it would be something like experiencing the wind. He says the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Okay, There's something supernatural about the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And so these five that we're going to talk about are... are important in how we hear the Spirit, but we must, I think, use all of them to a certain degree as a filter in discerning His voice. The first one I want to look at is how do we hear the Spirit, or what are the ways the Spirit will lead us? One, through the Word of God. See, based on what Scripture actually says about itself, it appears that 99% of the will of God is in the Word of God. The will of God is in the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture, and if you want to just write out by this 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God, all of it. Even with foreknowledge of the, the canon of the Bible being put together, it is useful to teach what is true, to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's the Bible. It's useful for that. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. If only people would use the Bible instead of feelings. Let me tell you, we would be in a better place. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people. Now, what's it? The word of God, scripture. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Bible is to help us, prepare us, equip us to do every good work. That's a tall promise. Every good work. See, the will of God and what he would want for your life is ultimately that you live a holy life. Almost every time we find the phrase, the will of God in the Bible, it, it refers to the shaping of our moral character. When you see that phrase in scripture, most often it is associated with some shaping of the moral character in our life. In 1 Thessalonians, one example. Uh, finally, dear brothers and sisters, Paul, Silas, and Timothy write 1 Thessalonians. They say, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord Jesus has given us the authority to teach you God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. So Paul, Silas, Timothy said, God's desire for you, if you want to know his will, it's for you to be holy. Well, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing them, they spent time with them, they taught them under the authority of the Lord Jesus, and we have a lot of what they taught canonized in the Bible as the Holy Scripture. And so how are you going to know the teachings of God? you got to get in the Word of God. 
How are you going to know his will? What our character should look like? What a holy, looks, a holy life looks like? We've got to get in his word because when we're in the word, we're more like Jesus. That's how we become like Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. The word of God does this. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. The Bible is powerful. It is useful to prepare and to equip us for every good work. In fact, there used to be an old song about the Bible. You might remember way back, the B-I-B-L-E. Now, okay, yeah, that was a little off key, but yeah, we were right there. Some of you have heard that song, but there was this old contemporary Christian song, Bible, and it used Bible as an acrostic, basic instructions before leaving earth, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. That always stuck with me as a very true statement about the Bible, that it is. It's just our instructions of how life should look and what life should be like as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the more time that we spend in the word, the easier it is for the Holy Spirit to step in and use the word to guide us. Again, 99 to 99.4%, whatever you want to use, most of the will of God is spelled out in the Bible. God gave us the scripture so that we would be thoroughly, completely equipped for every good work. And you won't know the will of God any more than you know the word of God. I can tell you that right now. You're not going to know the will of God any more than you know the word of God. What Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And if we know the word of God is truth, the Holy Spirit has a greater canvas to work with the more time that we spend in the scripture. The more time that we spend in the word, the more illumination the Holy Spirit can give regarding his will for various situations. And it baffles me for the people that say, I really want to hear God's voice. I really want to know the will of God, but yet spend no time in the word of God. That ain't going to happen. You're not going to know his will. You're not going to know his desire because you don't know his heart. You're not, you're not downloading truth into your life, into your operating system, so that the Holy Spirit can take it and apply it to the spots and to the lives and to the situations that are there. Download the word of God into your heart. And then the Holy Spirit can take that and say, hey, you remember that verse? I'm, I got called into ministry because the Holy Spirit brought a verse into my mind that I went to look up. Download it. Download it into you so that the Holy Spirit can say, hey, this situation that you're stepping into right now, you remember what God said about this? You remember this situation in the word about this? You remember that verse? Da, 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 da. It goes on and on. But that's the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into all truth. You need to know the truth. Get in the word of God. So the Spirit will lead us through the Word of God. Also, secondly, in our giftings. Okay, We don't hold the first one loosely. It is the will of God can be found in the Word of God. But He will also speak through our giftings. There are gifts that He is going to give and has given every believer. It reminds me of uh, the old story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I love that as a kid, C.S. Lewis book, uh, which he was an incredible author wrote some things that you have to read 10 times before you understand a sentence of it. Mere Christianity, incredible work of art. But he also wrote these children's books that were just incredible too. The Line of the Witch and the Wardrobe. How many of you have read that? How many of you have seen the movie? 
more hands on that. That's, the, that's where we're at today, right? And so, yeah, the movie was pretty good, too. But there's a scene in the movie that I, I want to show a little clip from where the children receive these gifts from Father Christmas. Watch this. Certainly is, Lucy, since you have arrived. Look, I've put up with a lot since I got here, but this... We thought you were the witch. Yes. Sorry about that, but uh, in my defense, I have been driving one of these longer than the witch. I thought there was no Christmas in Narnia. No. Not for a long time. But the hope that you have brought your majesties is finally starting to weaken the witch's power. Still, I dare say you could do with these. Presents! <laughs> the juice of the fire flower. One drop will cure any injury. And though I hope you never have to use it. Thank you, sir. I'm sure you could. Battles are ugly affairs. Susan. Trust in this bow, and it will not easily miss. What happened to battles are ugly affairs? <laughs> Though you don't seem to have a problem making yourself heard, blow on this, and wherever you are, help will come. Thanks. Peter. The time to use these may be near at hand. Toys. Bear them well and wisely. Now, I must be off. Winter is almost over. And things do pile up when you've been gone a hundred years. <laughs> Long live Aslan. And Merry Christmas. You didn't cry, did you? Okay, good. All right, just making sure. You know, as these children receive their gifts, they have no idea how they're going to be used. Lucy gets this healing oil that is used in, in, in battle, and Peter, this sword that is used to lead and assault. In, in a similar fashion, there are gifts given to us by the Father that are a telltale sign for us to understand the Spirit's leading in our lives, what He wants us to do. They're not toys, they're tools. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And there's three places where Paul uses uh, 
examples of spiritual gifts. They include things like hospitality, mercy, serving, generosity, exhortation, leadership, vision, prayer, as well as some of the sign gifts like healing and tongues. And so my question for you is, what are your gifts? Because you need to understand what they are because that will help you discern and understand how the Spirit is leading you. Some people use these spiritual gift tests that you can find online, and, and I've done a multitude of them, and uh, some of them are great, some of them are weird. Um, I'm, I, I can answer some questions. There's kind of the Myers-Briggs multiple um, question type of uh, test, and, and someday I can answer it one way, the other day I could answer it another, and so... Um, they can be helpful, but I, I want to kind of maybe give us another helpful way, maybe hopefully a little bit of a better way in understanding your spiritual gift. Let's, if you want to write this on the back of your paper, I want to throw up a, a statement on the screen. A spiritual gift is usually the merging of what in God's kingdom we are passionate about. And I'm not talking about an earthly passion. I'm talking about a, in God's kingdom that we're passionate about, what we're good at, and what others affirm in us. And Nick, uh, I see lots of people writing, so you might just leave that up there for a second. But a spiritual gift is usually the merging what in God's kingdom we are passionate about, what we're good at, and what others affirm in us. And it can be even what, what uh, we're passionate about in this world, but then has an eternal purpose, a kingdom purpose, um, and, and what we're good at and what others affirm in us, and I want to pop up here in just a second a diagram I think that will help us. There's three key words that I want to put on this ability, affinity, and, and affirmation. Now, if we can go to that diagram, I think this can help us find out what really our, our supernatural gift would be. What others affirm in us is affirmation. That's what people would say hey, you actually are a good singer, or you actually um, have a, a sweet spirit to you as you host whatever it could be man what a generous person you are other people see it in you when i was called to ministry i had people telling me hey john i i could see you in ministry and i'm thankful for that because i was wrestling with not doing it. i didn't want to do ministry but god used people to affirm that in me now that doesn't i for example let's just take me again for example i, I i'm a prophet and, and by gifting. I speak very black and white. I speak and, and declare for the Lord by, by exposing the word of God. And there is some natural gifting there that I have. That would be in the ability. So if we have affirmation, people see it in you. You need to see it in you through your own ability. I, I have a natural gift for public speaking or coaching or persuasion. But it wasn't always there. It had to be brought out in me. I was scared to death to talk in front of people. I didn't know I had that ability, but it was a gift that God had given me. The very first speech I gave running for office in which I lost at my high school in front of 500 kids, I was a train wreck, nervous as could be. Peed my pants a little. Don't tell people that because I never hear the end of it. But no, I was so scared. Of doing that. And then even in college stuff, speaking in front of my class and some things like that was so nerve-wracking. But God had put that in me. There was affirmation from people. Then there was this awareness of, I have this ability that I can do, even though I had to be pushed to do it. I had to be drug sometimes to do it. Not with like recreational drugs, but like someone had to, well, occasionally the other. No, I'm just kidding. But people had to really kind of force me into those positions to do that. Hey, but once I started 
It's like, okay, God, you are in this. There is an ability there. There is affirmation there. Then there's an affinity. That's the passion. So what are you good at? That's your ability. What do you love? Okay. What you love is also another good indication. What brings out the most emotion in you? What social justice or, or, or what are you passionate about? Man, I really want this to go well, look good, be of an excellent spirit. There is passion. And when you see it done wrong, you are, you're like, ugh. It, it is almost frustrating to you. There can be a holy discontent in you. That's your affinity. That's what you're passionate about. The merging of all those things is a good opportunity to say, hey, that's what you're gifted in. There is a spiritual gift that has been uh, implanted in you by the Lord that he wants to use to help others. That's what a spiritual gift is given, to help others, not to lord it over them, not to be mean about it, not to be a punk about it, but to literally help people. And so we find the, the convergence of those three circles and say, okay, this is a good indicator that the Lord is in this. In our spirit, he can lead us by the gifts that he's give us, given us. And some of you are kind of there. You, you have a passion about it. All right, so this is uh, in our giftings. I'm kind of jumping ahead. But when those three places converge, that's kind of where our, our giftings can be found. If you're curious about some of those gifts that are listed out, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Ephesians 4 would be a good place to look at this week at some point. All right, so he can speak in, in our gifting, but also through the church. In Acts, this is kind of the most common way the Spirit speaks. Sometimes it comes in the form of wise counsel from Christians. We'll see Christians step up to the plate. And Proverbs 24 says, so don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. All right, you should have godly people within your faith family that are able to speak into situations. Sometimes it's just the Spirit giving specific insight into other believers in your faith family. In Acts 13, it says, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, these these guys are, are seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit says to them, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. God put it in another group of people's hearts and said, hey, these two guys, you need to dedicate. You need to let them know God has a call upon their life. And so God used the church and the Spirit uh, led Barnabas and Saul through the church. They were worshiping, they were fasting, they were seeking the Lord. And the church got a word from the Lord. Hey, these guys have a call upon their life. Uh, when I was in high school, I told you people affirmed, there was one conference I went to. I didn't know the, the preacher at all, the speaker. Uh, I can't even remember his name. Had no relationship with him. In an invitation type of time, he singled me out and said, God's going to do something big in your life. I was really hoping he meant I'd make an NBA team one day. And, and that's the mindset of where I was. But that wasn't what God wanted. But God used that man and used this believer to plant a seed in my life for ministry that God used. Now, we hold this loosely because there are some people that aren't walking with the Lord that might say something that isn't true. I remember one time this girl had uh, the uh, medical issue of not being able to grow hair. And this other girl said to her, uh, the Spirit's telling me you're going to have a head of hair by next year. And that didn't happen. And I didn't sense that at all from the moment it was spoken. I did not sense that was the Lord saying that. And it wasn't. 
But just because there are some bad apples in the bunch doesn't mean that God won't use people or can't use people. For 2,000 years in the church, he's been using the church to help people understand the Spirit's voice. And so we want to use that as a filter. Now, if someone's not walking with the Lord, obviously, but if you know person after person who's walking with the Lord and they're speaking something, and maybe it hasn't even been them having a huddle about it, it's just been them on their own, I would pay attention to what the Lord is saying through the church. But also, fourthly, in our spirit. Just flat out in our spirit. Just a one-on-one with you. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Nehemiah. We did a whole series on him. It was a lot of fun to look at how he helped rebuild the wall in Jerusalem after being exiled. But in Nehemiah 2, it gives us a little heart into the story. Nehemiah 2.12 says, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. So why would you read that verse? Well, what's significant about this verse is in Nehemiah, we don't see a verbal command from God saying, go rebuild the wall. What we see is him right here in Nehemiah 2. God had put in my heart these plans. We don't see handwriting on the wall. We don't see a Virgin Mary and a grilled cheese sandwich. We don't see these other things. Some of you are still like, is there really a Virgin Mary and a grilled cheese? Not to my knowledge. But we don't see it here. We don't see, all we see is God put it in my heart. Sometimes God's just going to put something in your heart that is a passion. He had a passion for the reputation of Jerusalem, for the glory of God to stick out in front of a foreign nation, foreign rulers, to a pagan society. He didn't want the, the city of God to be laughed at, mocked, and ridiculed. And he burned with passion for that and said, God put it in my heart. Some of you, you you're going to have a passion just placed in your heart. And that's the Lord leading you and speaking to you. He's given you an ambition, a holy discontent. And he's using that as a guide to get you to what you need to do. I'll give you another example in Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all, all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Did you see this? There was a troubling. He's deeply troubled because he sees a bunch of idols, and his heart is broken over it. So what does he do? He stays and he preaches. We don't see the Holy Spirit audibly told Paul, stay and preach. No. See, some of you are waiting for these miraculous things, and the miracle's already in, in you, and there's a passion there, there's a burden there, and you don't see it as divine, and it is. And Paul, all he had to do was look around and say, this is heathen. Somebody got to do something. All right, let me tell you about Jesus. These idols are fake. They're not going to save your soul. They can't do nothing. They just sit there. Let me tell you about the one true God. He was troubled by it. Why was he troubled about it? Because the Lord had put in his heart a burning passion to tell people about Jesus. He didn't need a, a, a grilled cheese with Jesus' words on it. He didn't need it. What he needed was, hey, within me, in my spirit, is a passion and a burden. I got to get and be obedient to what the Lord 
is saying. Now, some of you, you've been doing that. There is a holy discontent or a passion that you have, whether that's some group that's suffering, whether it's immigrants, whether it's the mentally ill, whether there's the homeless, the minority, it's the addicted, it's the sick, it's the incarcerated, it's the widowed, it's the orphan, it's an unreached people group, it's a local group. Whatever it is, you have already kind of put a focus there. And there is a passion that you have. And that's usually the Spirit of God provoking you to action. Again, we've got to be careful. We've got to test our impulses against the Scripture, against counsel from believers. But I would say that if there is something on your heart that is going to be good, advance the kingdom of God, give God glory, more than likely, it's not the devil. I just have a hard time thinking the devil is going to put on your heart, share Jesus with that person. Oh, gosh, that darn devil. Always trying to get me to share Jesus with people. We, we do that. There will be something good on our heart, and we'll wrestle with it. I don't know if it's of God. Now, you're not so crass to say it might be the devil, because we know the devil's not going to tell us to go tell someone about Jesus, but we'll sure blame it on something else. That was the pizza I had last night. Man, I had too many energy drinks today. Or maybe you are, you're like, you feel like you're supposed to do something positive and good for the kingdom of God and for his glory, and you're like, not today, Satan. Mm-mm, I'm not falling for that trap. But yet, if you have some sort of passion or inclination to go do drugs with that person, that's the devil. That's, not, that's when you say, okay, that's not Jesus telling me to do that. Okay? Some of this is pretty easy to distinguish, but yet we make it really hard. But in your spirit, even in your spirit, the Holy Spirit can speak and lead you and guide you. The last one is through our circumstances. And there are times, and every Christian has gone this, you have been doing something, and then God steps in and does something exactly the opposite of what you expected him to do. You're doing one thing, and then all of a sudden, and you even think God wants you to do it, then, then a door closes in your face, the job goes to someone else, the girl says no, the, the, home land, the home loan falls through, or your health declines, whatever it is. There are times when God just steps in and leads through circumstances. In Acts 16, there's a couple times Paul thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. He was going where God wanted him to go. He was doing the Lord's work, but then God shut a door right in his face. And he had to go somewhere else. That's what God does sometimes. Sometimes God will open up this strange door that you didn't see coming. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul explained to the Corinthians, he says, In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. Now, there wasn't this spirit voice. It was just this open door of ministry that kept Paul in Ephesus. He didn't say, hey, the spirit told me to say. He said, there's great thing. God is working here, and I'm supposed to be here working in it. Because God is doing something. It's the old experiencing God motif. There was this old Bible study about called experiencing God. It's where you see God working, joining. That was the whole idea. And here, that's the sentiment Paul's saying. God's doing a work here. I'm staying here. He's opened this door. I'm not going yet because something good's happening. But hang on to this. He also said, although many oppose me. 
Just because problems happen, that does not automatically mean it's not God's will. Paul had opposition, but great things were still being done. A difficulty doesn't always mean God isn't in something. You need to hear that today. Just because the job search at first didn't turn up anything doesn't mean you don't search again. Just because the girl you asked said no the first time, that doesn't mean you don't ask again. You just don't ask a third. That's when it gets creepy. But there are going to be difficulties in life when you follow Jesus. Now, that difficulty doesn't mean a door shut. Now, he can come in and shut a door. But here Paul's saying, hey, great things are going on, even though I'm getting opposed by many, but he knew it was God's will. But I'll also say this, just like a difficulty doesn't mean God's gone and he's out of it, in the same way, an open door doesn't automatically mean something is God's will. Now, this is where we get, you got to stay with me, Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh, but he wanted to go the other way. Well, hello, there's a boat going 300 miles away or whatever it is to Tarshish. Uh, that must be of God. It's right here, right time, perfect circumstance. God, thank you for providing. Hashtag blessed. I'm going this way. That was not God's will. God had already told him to do something else. His open door was not of the Lord. And then he shut that door with a big old fish. But at first, he could have been like, well, this is God. This is here. Thank you for providing this. But hold your interpretation of your circumstances loosely. Balance it against the other things that we've talked about. Balance it against godly counsel. The word of God. Always use the word of God. If it's against the word of God, it's not the will of God. See what your giftings are. See what, as you walk with the Spirit, what the Lord is saying. Now, honestly, it freaks me out a little bit. I don't know if it does you, but it, it's, I like extreme clarity. I, I like crystal clear instruction, but it's not always going to be that way with the Spirit of God. It's not. There's a mystery, it's supernatural, but something that has really encouraged me along my journey with Christ because I, I love knowing exactly what to do at all times. That's why I married Kim, because she's really good at telling me those things. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek Him, His will, and all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. I trust I seek, I acknowledge, and then he will do his part. He'll make my path great. He will show me the way to go. Trust in him. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's how I used to memorize it. But that encourages me to know God's got it. Really, the Christian life, it's like riding a bicycle. We just pedal in obedience. Trusting God's in the background doing his thing. We just paddle, paddle, paddle our bikes. <laughs> and then pedal because we realize, boy, this looks dumb. And so then we start pedaling our bikes down the path of obedience. And then just trust that he's in the background working. And then when he wants to give specific steering instructions, he's going to break through the noise and bring it 
to be reasonably clear what we should do, and then we follow in obedience. But until he breaks in and gives us this, the clear direction, we follow the paths of godly wisdom, make the wisest decisions we can, and we trust that he's guiding the whole process. That's the path we go down. And we just pedal, and we obey. And when he says, your name's on that, your name's on that, we steer that way, we steer that way. And so pedal today in obedience to God's word. God will break in. He'll tell you. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. See, this, this path word is, is important for us today. And I need you to get this because the will of God is more like a path than it's less like a door. I, I think we get so freaked out about being in the will of God that we think that God's will is more a door. It's less a door, it's more a path. You need to understand that. It is a path. We view it as a door like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Have you read those lately? My son brought home one from the, the library, and I used to read those all the time. And we, we, if you've ever read those, you read a story, and it gives you these options. And we think that, that God is putting these options right in front of us. And there's this door that we take. And if we take the wrong door, we end up in a prison in South America with a flesh-eating bacteria that's going to take our life. But if we take the right door, we're a reality TV star and everything's great. And we think that's our options. But really, it's a path. In Scripture, we, we see this idea that God's in control. If we would just stay on the path, we would be on the path of obedience. We would follow him with all of our heart, that there's some flexibility in our life. But we saturate ourselves in the word of God. We keep pedaling as he guides us and as he steps in. Then, then we'll be where God wants us to be. It's not always choose the red car. We get so caught up in some of these things. And we think that if we pick the wrong color, then everything's in trouble and our life will be in chaos. Just obey. And then there are sometimes God's going to say, I believe. Go which way you want, red or blue. Not like the Matrix, because there's one of those that's bad for the Matrix. I don't remember. But he's, it's like, you've got freedom here. Just follow me. And, I, and when I need to make it clear, I'm going to step in. I'm going to tell you which way to go. And so, church, if you're a believer today, one, start with the word of God. Start there. Use that as your main filter. And then as you grow in your faith family, use the church. Look at the giftings that God has given you. What are you passionate about? What is he speaking to your spirit? Okay. And then look at your circumstances. And we can use all of these as a filter to help us discern and determine what God is actually saying to us. And guess what? He wants to speak. And he wants it to be clear. In the meantime, be obedient. Go, follow Seek him, abide with him. And then when he wants to be crystal clear with the red, the blue, the green, the yellow, he'll say, yellow. And then we'll all figure it out and we'll follow. But the Lord wants to lead you and he will. Trust in him, seek him, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that would encourage all of us today. That we would trust in you with all of our heart. We wouldn't lean on our own understanding. But that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways. If we do that, you make the path straight. You're going to work all that out. You're already working. You're already faithful. It's who you are. 
man, if we would just learn to trust you, oh my goodness, God, why do we feel like we can do it better than you? Forgive us. We love to bring it back to us and think we're in control. Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so convicted right now because we do that. How ignorant to think we know better than you. How ignorant to think that we could do it better. May we just trust and lean not on our own understanding. I pray that we would be the ones that it would acknowledge you in all our ways. And just believe you're going to make the path straight. It might be up and it might be down, but it's going to be straight. And we're going to believe and trust in that. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.